Bestbookbits.com presents The China Study by T. Colin Campbell and Thomas M. Campbell. In The China Study, Dr. T. Colin Campbell details the connection between nutrition and heart disease, diabetes and cancer. The report also examines the source of nutritional confusion produced by powerful lobbies, government entities and opportunistic scientists. The New York Times has recognized the study as the Grand Prix of epidemiology and the most comprehensive large study ever undertaken of the relationship between diet and the risk of developing disease. The China study is not a diet book. Dr. Campbell cuts through the haze of misinformation and delivers an insightful message to anyone living with cancer, diabetes, heart disease, obesity, and those concerned with the effects of aging. The written and audio summary can be found on our website, bestbookbits.com. So without further ado, I bring the book summary of The China Study. The China study clearly lays out the current Western diet can be improved to prevent lifestyle disease. We say most important book on nutrition and health. The most comprehensive study of nutrition ever conducted. An overwhelming amount of evidence from renowned scientists shows that eating significantly less animal protein is the most important step in preventing common lifestyle diseases. Conclusion Seoul, who had a good reputation, changed into Paul. In much the same way T. Colin Campbell, author of the China study, underwent a major transformation. In the China study, Campbell summarizes an overwhelming amount of evidence from renowned scientists and shows that eating significantly less animal protein is the most important step in preventing common lifestyle diseases. He also discusses the fact that it is often possible to cure yourself by making changes to your diet. Since the food and pharmaceutical industries have almost unlimited means and actively prevent change, Toward a healthy diet, evidence of this magnitude is required for the public to have a change of opinion. Business, government, media, and the healthcare system are closely linked. A good fable, a lie, persists forever, but understanding the truth requires the ability to perceive and think. Number one is summary. The author Campbell describes quite convincingly how he swore by animal protein as a child and young adult. His dissertation was also based on his conviction that animal protein was of particular importance. He wanted to promote a higher consumption of meat, milk and eggs as he believed this would help improve people's overall health. For a number of years, the author worked on a related project in the Philippines. During this 10-year project, the main goal was to get children to eat more animal protein. One of the ways they did this was to establish self-help education centers. Then he discovered that children who ate the highest protein diets were the ones most likely to get liver cancer. The author then found out that rat experiments conducted in India had come to the same conclusion, but the results were considered implausible. However, his team came to the same results with experiments using transgenic mice. It is not genes that are deciding factor of whether a person falls victim to one of the 10 leading causes of death. Instead, it is what they eat. It is what they eat. This was a defining moment for Campbell. The tests carried out by his team over a period of 27 years were funded by major national institutions and verified a second time by some of the best scientific journals. The results were shocking for scientists. A low-protein diet inhibited the development of cancer caused by aflatoxin. This type of diet also inhibited any existing cancer growth. Some proteins did not promote cancer. However, Casein, which makes up 87% of protein in cow's milk, promoted all stages of cancer growth. Plants, on the other hand, delivered safe proteins. 
Dr. Campbell writes how four decades of biomedical research and results of long-term studies have shown with provocative results that a healthy diet can save your life. He then lists out the following benefits. Dietary change can enable diabetic patients to go off their medication. Heart disease can be reversed with a diet alone. Breast cancer is related to levels of female hormones in the blood, which are determined by the foods we eat. Consuming dairy foods can increase the risk of prostate cancer. Antioxidants found in fruits and vegetables are linked to better mental performance in old age. Kidney stones can be prevented by a healthy diet. Type 1 diabetes, one of the most devastating diseases that can befall a child, is convincingly linked to infant feeding practices. He came to these conclusions after conducting a massive human study in which 6,500 Chinese from rural areas in several different provinces of China participated. Two universities in the United States and one in China worked jointly on the project under the direction of the author. Finally, Campbell concludes that the boundaries between politics, government and the food industry, pharmaceutical companies, science and medicine have blurred over time. Justice and health are the losers. Since this is not recognized for what it is, it is more dangerous than corruption. The result is massive amounts of misinformation for which average American consumers pay twice. They provide the tax money to do the research and then they provide the money for their health care to treat their largely preventable diseases. Personal comments. Since these facts are so contrary to the information provided by the food industry, government, medicine and others, you may find them hard to accept unless you have already discovered the information on your own or you actually read the book, which contains overwhelming evidence from studies of many leading scientists. The introduction, which is more than eight pages long, contains several interesting statements, such as the following. But the real science has been buried under a clutter of ir irrelevant or even harmful information, pseudoscience, fad diets, and food industry propaganda. The general public really doesn't eat a healthy diet, and this is reflected in large number of lifestyle diseases. These usually only develop after a few decades, similar to the problems connected with tobacco smoking. This book, however, is addressed to typical Western consumers who probably think they are eating a healthy diet. The dangers is that we often don't notice that our health is deteriorating because this happens very slowly over several decades. And we often look to those around us when it comes to determining what is right or healthy. We consider lifestyle diseases normal. Calories consumed by the world population. In 1961, the average was 2,250 calories per day. Fast forward to 40 years later in 2001, average is 2,800 calories per day. Number two is book review. Dr. Campbell states that he was part of the system at the highest level for nearly 50 years at that point. He also describes why we are now where we are. For this, he lists out several important points. Synthetic chemicals in the environment and in your food as problematic as they may be, are not the main cause of cancer. The genes that you inherit from your parents are not the most important factors in determining whether you fall prey to any of the 10 leading causes of death. The hope that genetic research will eventually lead to drug cures for diseases ignores the more powerful solutions that can be employed today. Obsessively controlling your intake of any one nutrient, such as carbohydrates, fat, cholesterol, or omega-3 fats, will not result in long-term health. Vitamins and nutritional supplements do not give you long-term protection against disease. Drugs and surgery 
don't cure the diseases that kill most Americans. Your doctor probably does not know what you need to do to be the healthiest you can be. Part 1, The China Study The actual China study is covered in the chapter Lessons from China on 40 pages. Before this, we learn interesting things about Campbell's life that also show how he made the transformation from a soul to a pool. In a biblical sense, something that only few people are able to accomplish. The rest focuses on the findings from the China study and the reasons why these have not yet been truly put into practice. 2.1 Problems we face, solutions we need. Campbell includes a graph showing that 47% of men and 38% of women are likely to contract cancer. Readers can see that the cancer death rates increased from 1972 to 1992 rather than decreased. At the same time, the percentage of obese BMI equals over 30% people in the population more than doubled from 1976 to 1999. Expenses for diabetes alone are around $100 billion a year. In the meantime, treatment costs have spiraled out of control. In 1997, a trillion or $3,912 per person went on healthcare in the US. This is more than twice as much per person as compared to Japan. $1,760, which if we disregard microstates like Monaco, is the country with the highest life expectancy. Germany spent $2,364 per person. OECD data from 2009 shows that the healthcare cost increased to $7,290 per person in the US, $3,588 in Germany, $3,763 in Austria, and $4,000. $417 in Switzerland. These costs also rose considerably based on gross national income. See also GDP and GNP, and in 2009 were at 16% of the GDP in the United States. The US in particular is expecting more rapid rises in healthcare cost. Dr. T. Colin Campbell writes, I did not begin with preconceived ideas, philosophical or otherwise, to prove the worthiness of plant-based diets. I started at the opposite end of the spectrum as a meat-loving dairy farmer in my personal life and an establishment scientist in my professional life. I even used to laminate my views of vegetarianism as I taught nutritional biochemistry to pre-med students. Campbell explains how the findings from these studies were met with resistance. Since many medical professionals are not familiar with the subject, they either have difficulty accepting the following statement or can't accept it at all. Additionally, impressive evidence now exists to show that advanced heart disease, relatively advanced cancers of certain types, diabetes, and a few other degenerative diseases can be reversed by diet. I frequently hear doctors and sick people making the excuse that certain diseases are the result of genetics. Of course, genetic predisposition is an important factor, but the following statement is also true. We now know that we can largely avoid these genetic diseases even though we may harbor the gene or genes that is are responsible for the disease. 2.2. A hoose of protein. Nitrogen-containing protein has been considered the most sacred of all nutrients since it was discovered by Dutch chemist Judas Jonas Mulder in 1839. The word proteos even means the prime importance. In the 19th century, protein was considered tantamount to meat or foods of animal origin. This myth still exists even among physicians. German psychologist Karl von Voigt, 1831 to 1908, 
discovered that humans need 48.5 grams of protein, but still recommended 118 grams per day. He thought that too much of a good thing didn't exist. What a setback this caused because of his ignorance of the fundamental laws of nature. It makes sense then that the West tries to help starving people in developing countries, primarily by providing them with protein sources. The author describes how Professor Charlie Ingle, 1912 to 2007, actually Reuben W. Ingle, the head of the Department of Biochemistry and Nutrition at Virginia Tech at the time, recruited him in 1967 to work on the Mothercraft Project in the Philippines. On a flight, Campbell happened to meet a former colleague from MIT, Professor Paul Newbern, who was studying the relationship between diet and cancer at the time. He permanently denied that there was any relationship between the two and believed that the opposite was true. The author explains how different the process of establishing scientific proof is in the areas of physics, medicine, and medical research. The China study utilized more than 8,000 statistically significant correlations. The statistical significance is also of importance. If an investigation proves that the probability of 95% that chance didn't play a role, the result is significant, and at 99%, it is highly statistically significant. Known mechanisms of action, the results of other studies are capable of strengthening the reliability of a result or decreasing it. Meta-analysis of a variety of studies may potentially improve certainty. 2.3. Turning off cancer. The author describes how Americans react with panic to any report about carcinogens. He gives the example of how it was used to be common practice to routinely spray ALA, a chemical that was used as a growth regulator. Campbell then lists out other carcinogenic substances as DDT, nitrates, and artificial sweeteners. Campbell then describes the three stages of cancer, carcinogenesis, initiation for lipoid pre-oxidation as well, promotion and progression. Another term for progression is metastasis. He includes a chart that clearly illustrates the four steps of initiation with aflatoxin. Aflatoxin enters a liver cell. It gets metabolized by an enzyme and converted into a dangerous product, which attacks the cell's DNA. Sometimes the cell multiplies before the damaged DNA gets repaired and then permanently damaged cancerous cells arise. As part of a study he conducted, Campbell investigated the mixed function oxidase MFO enzyme, which is a very complex and acts as a catalyst to convert various materials. This serves to detoxify aflatoxin, but also activates in converting it into aflatoxin metabolites. Just changing the amount of protein consumed strongly alters the enzyme activity, catalytic activity. An intake of 10% protein is already considerably more than humans need, but 10% is recommended in order to ensure adequate intake for virtually everyone. Anything above that is harmful. Americans consume approximately 15 to 16% protein as comparison. A 1.5 ounce 45 gram porterhouse steak contains 13 grams of protein. After obtaining these results, Campbell had David Schultzinger examined whether or not plant protein acted the same way. The answer is no. Plant protein did not promote cancer, but cow's milk protein did. The findings of these experiments, nutrients from animal-based foods increased tumor development, while nutrients from plant-based foods decreased tumor development. Another group researching breast cancer and different carcinogens came to the same conclusion. 2.4 Lessons from China 
1983, the Premier of China, Duen Lei, 1898-1976, was diagnosed with cancer. That is why he initiated a national-wide survey on the occurrence of 12 types of cancer in more than 2,400 Chinese counties and 880 million, 96% of their inhabitants. This is how the most ambitious biomedical project ever came into being, one with 650,000 employees. The result of the project was a map that showed how cancer rates differed greatly according to the area and lifestyle. Some counties had over 100 times the rate of cancer incidence than others. In the US, the ratio is only 1 in 3 from one state to the next. Overall, there were significantly fewer cancer cases in China than in the USA. Difference in intake between China and the USA. 14.5 total fat percentage of calories versus 36 to 38 in America. 33 dietary fiber grams per day versus 12. 64 total protein grams per day versus 91. 0.8 animal protein percent of calories versus 10 to 11% animal protein in America. 34 milligrams per day of total iron versus 18. Campbell writes, I have never pursued health hoping for immortality. Good health is about being able to fully enjoy the time we do have. It is about being as functional as possible throughout our entire lives and avoiding crippling, painful, and lengthy battles with disease. Age standardized comparisons of causes of death between industrialized countries and other countries show that the coronary heart disease and breast cancer occur much more frequently in Western countries. The author calls these Western diseases, diseases of affluence and diseases of nutritional extravagance. Finally, Campbell addresses the importance of dietary fiber, which is found exclusively in plant-based foods. Fiber consists of highly complex carbohydrate molecules. It binds water and also attracts harmful chemical substances, similar to sticky tape. It reduces the caloric density of our food and creates a feeling of satiety. Finally, the author discusses the importance of many colors of fruit that come from antioxidants and their importance for our health. Campbell describes the relationship and reasons why plants in particular need to contain a great deal of antioxidants and how that affects us. Other problems that become evident during the studies were malnutrition, plant-based diets with insufficient variety and inadequate quantity, parasitic diseases, childhood diseases, and tuberculosis, and this with a poor healthcare system. Chronic infection with hepatitis B virus, HBV in particular, was something that occurred often. In some areas, half the people had a chronic infection compared with 0.2 to 0.3% in the U.S., Liver cancer was therefore very common, but this again was mostly in areas with high casein or meat consumption, just like in animal experiments. He's finding casein and very likely all animal proteins may be the most relevant cancer-causing substances that we consume. Part 2, Diseases of Affluence. In this part of the book, we learn specifics about individual diseases of affluence, which are also called lifestyle diseases. These diseases triggered by lifestyle, behavior, and environmental factors that are prevalent in the industrialized countries. The positive aspects of our current civilization, as far as health is concerned, are improved hygiene, medical advances in disease prevention, e.g. vaccinations, treatment possibilities, e.g. antibiotics, and a secure food supply. 2.5 Broken Hearts 
Campbell tells the reader that 3,000 Americans suffer a heart attack each day. 3,000 Americans suffer a heart attack each day. This is about the same number of people who died in September 11, 2001 attack on the World Trade Center. We then read important details about the friend Menningham heart study. It showed, for example, that men with cholesterol levels above 244 milligrams suffered three times more heart attacks than men with values below 210 milligrams. It was determined that eating plant protein was ever greater power to lower cholesterol levels than reducing fat or cholesterol intake. Despite these findings, the battle between representatives of the status quo and the representatives of prevention through nutrition educational continue. Surgery and drugs are used and considered important, but what about prevention? For decades, the establishment refused to accept any evidence about the effectiveness of diet changes and went so far as to negate it. Campbell points out that 35% of all heart attacks happen to Americans with a cholesterol level between 150 and 200 milligrams. This means that 65% had levels higher than 200 milligrams or 5.2 mmol and above. A truly safe cholesterol level is below 150 milligrams or 3.9 mmol. The total fat intake should be no more than 10% of total calories. 2.6 obesity. The next problem with our western diet is that it causes us to gain weight. A person with a BMI greater than 25 is considered overweight, and with a BMI greater than 30, obese. Approximately 15% of children and adolescents in the US between the ages of 6 and 19 are overweight or obese, and another 15% are at the risk of becoming overweight. Campbell describes the consequences for adults, the things they may not be able to do because they are overweight or obese. He also points out that the medical care costs related to obesity came to $70 billion in 1999 and rose to $100 billion by 2002, just three years later. The $30 to $40 billion spent on preventative measures, special diet plans and pills is not even included. The author writes, Some people became vegetarian only to replace meat with dairy foods, added oils and refined carbohydrates, including pasta made with refined grains, sweets and pastries. I refer to these people as junk food vegetarians because they are not consuming a nutritious diet. The author also discusses the importance of regular physical activity and thermogenesis, which is a production of body heat. He observes that vegetarians have a slightly higher rate of metabolism during rest, meaning they burn up slightly more of their ingested calories as body heat rather than disposing them as body fat. He does not say that natural vegetarian food would be harder to digest. 2.7 Diabetes A graph from H.B. Hemsworth shows a relationship between diet and death rate due to diabetes at around 1925, a time when today's treatment methods didn't yet exist. It clearly demonstrates as carbohydrate intake goes up and fat intake goes down, the number of deaths from diabetes plummets from 20.4 to 2.9 per 100,000 people. Campbell describes several studies that all point in the same direction. Less animal-based food equals less diabetes. Less animal-based food equals less diabetes. This is difficult to imagine. Studies in England and Wales during the war and immediately thereafter, from 1940 to 1950, demonstrated the same pattern. Since people were eating fewer animal-based foods during this time, the rate of diabetes dropped significantly. 2.8 common cancers, breast, prostate, large bowel. 
Campbell discusses breast cancer first. He goes over the genetic risk factors BRCA1 and BRCA2 and the greater impact one's lifestyle has. He states that if a problem is recognized earlier, that doesn't automatically mean a prolongation of life. He summarized several studies, some of which suggest that anti-estrogen tamoxifen can prevent the occurrence of breast cancer. However, European studies have denied any statistically significant benefits of tamoxifen and instead stressed the risk of stroke, uterine cancer, cataracts, deep vein thrombosis, and pulmonary embolism. It is known as colorectal cancer, including a rectal cancer, is very different from culture to culture. Previously, genetic differences were thought to be the cause, but today science recognizes lifestyle as the actual cause. The China study also strongly confirms this. The author recommends a colonoscopy every 5 to 10 years, starting at 50, and at risk patients starting at 40. Genetic predisposition to colorectal cancer is effective for only 1-3%, to but previous incidence in the family is more significant. Family members also tend to have similar eating habits. Regarding prostate cancer, the author explains that about half of all men over 70 have latent prostate cancer, but only 7% of those diagnosed with prostate cancer die within 5 years. He confirms that nutrition plays a key role as to whether prostate cancer develops or not. Surprisingly, one of the most consistent specific links between diet and prostate cancer has been dairy consumption. The author explains the widespread communities of nutrient professionals, researchers and doctors are, as a whole, either unaware of the evidence or reluctant to share it. Because of these failings, Americans are cheated out of information that could save their lives. 2.9 Autoimmune Diseases In this group of diseases, the body systematically attacks itself. This is difficult to treat and the result is progressive loss of physical and mental function. The author lists out 17 autoimmune diseases including multiple sclerosis, MS, type 1 diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, thyroid disorders such as Graves disease, vitiligo, and pernicious anemia due to type A gastritis. The author explains that immune system is a system and not an organ. It is like a military network that exists to ward off foreign invaders. He then explained its individual parts, their function, and how they work. The white blood cells form from stem cells in the bone marrow. Leukocytes are called B-cells bones. In addition, immature cells migrate to the thymus, which specializes them as needed. These are called T-helper cells. Foreign invaders such as viruses and bacteria are protein molecules called antigens. The body develops the kind of mirror image protein that fits perfectly onto the antigen and destroys it. The mirror image protein is called a receptor protein. During the process of digestion, for example, some proteins slip into our bloodstream from the intestine without being fully broken down into their amino acid parts. One of the foods that supply many of the foreign proteins that mimic our own body proteins is cow's milk. We consider regular eating habits and common lifestyle diseases to be normal. Healthy eating habits, on the other hand, are thought to be weird. Only exercise is considered healthy. 2.10 Wide-Ranging Effects, Bone, Kidney, Eye and Brain Diseases Campbell tries to get us to seriously consider the very significant correlations between plant-based food and good health versus animal-based products and lifestyle diseases by discussing an overwhelming diversity and number of studies conducted by other researchers. You can support virtually any viewpoint with an individual study, but when thousands of scientific studies show a predominantly 
plant-based diet leads to better health, people should pay attention. In regards to osteoporosis, he shows that regions where people consume more cow's milk and dairy products also have a greater incidence of osteoporosis and vice versa. American women over 50, for example, have one of the highest rates of hip fractures in the world. Some European countries, Australia and New Zealand, consume more dairy products and have even higher rates. The fact that animal protein results in excess acid in the body has been known since the 1880s and was documented in 1920. But the body keeps the pH level in the blood very consistent at a pH of 7.36 to 7.44. It uses calcium as a very effective base to neutralize the acid. Since the calcium must come from somewhere, it is pulled out of the bones, which in turn weakens the bones enormously. He then gives some other advice on how to decrease your risk of osteoporosis. Plenty of calcium is available in a wide range of plant foods, including beans and leafy vegetables. As long as you stay away from the refined carbohydrates, like sugary cereals, candies, plain pastas, and white breads, you should have no problem with calcium deficiency. In this case, he is speaking to people who live exclusively or almost vegan. In addition, he mentions that excessive salt consumption can be a problem. Campbell next discusses a variety of eye problems. What we eat at meals primarily has an effect on cataract, clouding the lens in the eye, and macular degeneration. Millions of older Americans suffer from the diseases such as these. Antioxidants from fruits and vegetables can play a significant role in preventing this disease. The author explains the relationships involved and discusses two authoritative studies. The findings of these two studies suggest that as much as 70 to 88% of blindness caused by macular degeneration could be prevented if the right foods are eaten. Old age is often accompanied by a slowing decrease in ability to remember and think. Some people, however, develop dementia, which ultimately becomes a life-threatening mental disorder. This includes vascular dementia, a disease caused by multiple small brain strokes and Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's disease is about four times more common. With Alzheimer's, the protein amyloid beta accumulates in important parts of the brain as a plaque. Animal-based foods lack antioxidant shields and tend to activate free radical production and cell damage, while plant-based foods with their abundant antioxidants tend to prevent such damage. Studies on children of people who, for example, left Africa or Japan and adopted the Western lifestyle clearly demonstrate that lifestyle is much more important than genetic predisposition. Sometimes this is unavoidable, but in other circumstances, the manner of research is foolish and has no practical relevance. The Framingham study showed, for example, that for every three additional servings of fruits and vegetables a day, the risk of stroke will be reduced by 22%. The author reasons that with a radical change in diet, the risk reduction can get close to 100%. He describes a large number of studies that, for example, also showed that low homocysteine levels and high folic levels are desirable. He further describes how friends and people he grew up with often said they considered him to be a health nut and that they would eat a steak whenever they wanted to and smoke and do whatever else they wanted. Some of them have already died while others are living in nursing homes. The author himself is 80 years old, born in 1934, and he's still enjoying the benefits of having a healthy and strong body. Part 3, The Good Nutritional Guide. Campbell shares two common adages with readers. Americans love hogwash and Americans love to hear good things about their bad habits. Very little of the nutritional information that makes it to public consciousness is soundly based in science, and we pay a grave price. 
One day olive oil is terrible, the next it is healthy. One day eggs will clog your arteries, the next they are a good source of protein. One day potatoes and rice are great, the next day they are the gravest threats your weight you will ever face. 2.11, eating right, eight principles of food and health. Doctors Campbell's begin this chapter with 20 reasons why you should choose a healthy lifestyle. And those of us who are 50 or older don't want to look younger, feel younger, have more energy and avoid impotence for as long as possible. But we can achieve even more with a better lifestyle. His eight principles are as follows. Number one, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Two, vitamin supplements are not a panacea for good health. Three, there are virtually no nutrients in animal-based foods that are not better provided by plants. And four, genes do not determine disease on their own. Five, nutrition can substantially control the adverse effects of noxious chemicals. Six, the same nutrients that prevent diseases in its early stages before diagnosis can also halt or reverse disease in its later stages after diagnosis. 7. Nutrition that is truly beneficial for one chronic disease will support health across the board. And 8. Good nutrition creates health in all areas of our existence. All parts are interconnected. 2.12. How to Eat Campbell opposes deprivation and complex weight loss plans that usually only lead to a yo-yo effect. He writes, My advice is to try to eliminate all animal-based products from your diet, but not obsess over it. However, this requires a radical change in your thinking. Cutting out only some animal products simply takes more work. He believes that a radical change just one month to try it out is much better. Give it one month. You've been eating cheeseburgers your whole life. A month without them wouldn't kill you. Campbell emphasizes the fact that the large number of plant-based foods and herbs and spices available make it possible for you to have a variety and tasty diet, even without pasta and baked goods. Part 4. Why haven't you heard this before? People who are new to this subject often wonder why they generally have heard the opposite, that milk and meat are practically the best types of food. The author explains why and begins with this statement, as long as you will come to see how much is governed by the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. He who has the gold makes the rules. There are powerful, influential, and enormously wealthy industries that stand and lose a vast amount of money if Americans start shifting to a plant-based diet. Campbell doesn't believe that the industry pays scientists to cook the data or conduct other illegal activities. However, he writes the entire system, government, science, medicine, industry, and media, promotes profits over health, technology over food, and confusion over clarity. 2.13 Science, the Dark Side the author first explains how great the need is for people with advanced cancer and how, by the end of the 1970s, Americans were spending a billion dollars a year for various miracle cures. Dr. Colin Campbell outlines the positions he held in various organizations, societies, and committees. One of the following pages, he describes what he experienced there and how things work in this world on its own. Campbell concludes with the following. Only someone familiar with the inside of the system can distinguish between sincere positions based in science and insincere, self-serving position. It far too often involves money, power, ego, and protection of personal interest above the common good. Very few, if any, illegal acts need to occur. You will only be able to really understand this statement by reading the 18 pages of this chapter. I'm surprised at how objectively cool he writes about it as if it were just an ordinary news story. An American drama unfolds. 
2.14, Scientific Reductionism. We'll learn how a recommendation must be greatly simplified so as to be understood by a large number of people. Campbell goes over how the 1982 National Academy of Sciences, NAS, report on diet, nutrition, and cancer, of which he was a co-author, was the first expert panel report that deliberated on the association of diet with cancer. It included chapters on individual nutrients. Although they recommended getting those nutrients such as vitamins from natural foods and not pills or supplements, the report found its way to the corporate world and was used as a money-making opportunity. The next thing you know, vitamin pills are being advertised as products that prevent cancer. As an example, Campbell describes a product called Healthy Greens, which is a multivitamin supplement on vitamin A, C, and E, beta carotene, selenium, and a minuscule half gram of dehydrated vegetables. He then discusses a study that started in 1976, which had enrolled 120,000 nurses to investigate the relationship between various diseases and oral contraceptives, post-menopausal hormones, cigarettes, and other factors, such as hair dyes. Beginning in 1980, Professor Williott added a dietary questionnaire to the study and four years later, in 1984, expanded the dietary questionnaire to include more food items. This expanded dietary questionnaire was mailed to nurses again in 1986 and 1990. The study had serious flaws, and as a result, false conclusions were drawn. Such studies that attempted to isolate just one substance don't reveal the whole truth, but the China study does indeed cover the full spectrum. Campbell shows a number of false conclusions from studies he had criticized. Just one example, we found no evidence that lower intake of total fat or specific major types of fat were associated with decreased risk of breast cancer. Of course, a study like this would come to such a conclusion, and it cost more than $100 million to boot. The author then exposes the conflicts he had encountered by publishing his correspondence, Dr. Hugh and Dr. Willett, in personal conversation. Willett said to him, You may be right, Colin, but people don't want to go there. 2.15, The Science of Industry. In this chapter, the author shows just how much power the industry has by enlisting several sales figures. The author then lists a number of industry groups that work to increase general demand for their products. The most powerful among them have yearly budgets in hundreds of millions of dollars. 2.16, Government. Is it for the people? Expert government panels have said it. The Surgeon General has said it, and the academic scientists have said it. More people die because of the way they eat than by tobacco use, accidents, or any other lifestyle or environmental factor. The author explains how the government acts in practice. He shows the nonsense that occurs by providing various examples from a report issued 2002 by the Food and Nutrition Board, FNB, part of the Institute of Medicine, IOM. To meet the body's daily energy and nutritional needs while maximizing risk for chronic disease, adults should get 45% to 65% of calories from carbohydrates, 20-35% to 35% from fat, and 10-35% to 35% from protein. Added sugars should compromise no more than 25% of total calories consumed. Added sugars are those incorporated into food and beverages during production. Campbell then gives several other examples of ways that individuals and committees are connected to the food industry and how this affects the public. He writes that the Food and Nutrition Board report discussed above sets us back by years. The author also describes a positive example in which Dr. Antonio Demis Food in 
elementary education program was incorporated into 300 school lunch and behavioral rehabilitation programs around the United States. Her program, which is entirely plant-based, is total opposite of the government requirement that schools have to offer cow's milk and rely mostly on inventory of animal-based products. 2.17 Big Medicine Whose health are they protecting? The author asked the question, so why doesn't the medical system take nutrition seriously? Four words, money, ego, power, and control. The author isn't referring to individual doctors, but instead to the system with which they work, the system that should be responsible for promoting good health. He tells us the story of the successful surgeon, Dr. Esselton, after Esselton read the book, The McDowell Plan, by John A. McDowell. He realized that patients who ate a lot of meat, fat, and refined foods needed to be treated with a low-fat, plant-based diet. In the next section, Hooked on Drugs, the author describes the ties between the medical profession and the drug industry. For example, big companies pay PR agencies to write scientific articles and then find researchers who agree to be listed as the authors of these ghost-written articles. 20% of all new drugs have serious unknown side effects, and more than 100,000 Americans die every year from correctly taking their properly prescribed medication. On the following pages, the author describes the fates of the successful, if not exactly, conventional medical doctors. Dr. McDowell, see the website www.drmcdowell.com and Dr. Esselstyn. Both Esselton and McDowell have now been denied re-entry into the establishment after headline-making and success at healing people with a nutritional approach. But just before that, he describes the following. An interesting situation is now developing, just as with Dr. McDowell, Many of the clinic bigwigs with big heart diseases have themselves gone to Esselton for treatment and lifestyle counselling. They know it works and they seek out the program on their own. 2.18. Repeating Histories In 1985, during a sabbatical in England, Campbell had the opportunity to read much of the topic of diet and cancer at the Bodilon library in oxford and at the royal college of surgeons rcs and the imperial cancer research fund now called cancer research uk in london he found several books written by george mcgallan 1797 to 1882 who was a prominent surgeon in the early 19th century he became vegetarian at the age of 40 after identifying grease fat and alcohol as being the chief causes of cancer Please note how old he lived to be, which was remarkable for his time. He described the concept of the constitutional nature of the disease, and that a disease is not a result of the failure of a single organ or cell. It is the result of multiple systems throughout the body breaking down. Plato and Socrates knew that 2,500 years ago, Macquillan describes a conversation between them and Glaucon. Glaucon's argument seemed particularly interesting Frederick L. Hoffman, who was the instrumental in founding the American Cancer Society, also knew that diet was the way to prevent and treat disease. Diet was the way to prevent and treat disease. The author again lists out a number of facts and demonstrates how unhealthy most Americans are. To this end, they prevent 15 impressive statistics on the state of the population. Europe is currently heading in the same direction. Number three, about the book. The author lists out his numerous works and extraordinary awards may seem a bit arrogant to some readers. However, 
There are so many experts and charlatans in the field of nutrition that it is necessary for him to list out his qualifications. How else would readers be able to evaluate this new and impressive evidence? In the book, the author doesn't explain why he does this, but we are reading something from a highly respected top scientist and results from large-scale studies. These were conducted in collaboration with two U.S. universities and numerous other professors. As the author and co-author, he has written 350 scientific papers. These have included large-scale human studies as well as animal studies. Collaboration with the Chinese for the China study began in the early 1980s. And that's a wrap on this massive summary on the China study. Subscribe to the channel and take a look at the hundreds of book summaries uploaded previously. To find hundreds of written summaries, check out our website, bestbookbits.com. And for hundreds of audio podcast summaries, find us on mixcloud.com forward slash bestbookbits. If you like reading and want to get involved in sharing knowledge and spreading great book summaries, connect with myself by emailing info at bestbookbits.com to join us. Thanks for watching and listening, and I hope you got something from the China study. Have a great day. Take care.